In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you, no scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Rhymer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Rhymer. Thanks for trenching in. Josh Jackson is the founder and CEO of Mosaic Talent Partners. Back in 2015, he began to find his niche in healthcare TA, where he started his career at Diversa Partners. There he learned the ins and outs of executive search. In late 2020, Josh transitioned to Oak HCFT, where he was responsible for hiring talent, strategizing with board members and senior leaders while working on HR systems and processes to help companies scale their operations. Josh has a wonderful perspective on executive search and where healthcare is headed. In this episode, Josh and I talk about a wide range of topics, including his framework for a great executive search outcome, how he aligns with his hiring managers, tools he uses to build out his network and stay organized, how executive search in healthcare has evolved rapidly over the last 36 months, and what types of leaders are needed to move healthcare forward. Josh, welcome to the trenches. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Excited to uh, talk a little bit about talent. Yeah, man. Happy to have you here today. So um, let's just, uh, let's jump right to it. So um, I'm kind of really super interested uh, in this conversation for a lot of different reasons, but I want to kind of go back to um, Diversa a little bit. And so you started your career uh, in executive search. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Started uh, right out of undergrad, really. Uh, I think as a lot of folks in talent in general, but certainly executive search, you don't really know how you fall into this world. Um, I knew, hey, I wanted to be around smart people. Uh, knew I wanted to be kind of in the tech ecosystem and, and Diversa certainly had a name and still does have a name for that. Um, yeah. And so joined at that point was 2015, 2016 uh, and spent the first, you know, four or five years of my career there. Yeah. And so then I noticed that you, you left Diversa to go to Oak HCFT um, right after the pandemic. And so kind of transition, like it kind of hit, I think it was like October of, of, of 2020. Yeah. And so you, you, you showed up there and you're the, you were the director of talent for Oak HCFT. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that, that uh, organization and maybe, you know, just high level, what did you do for them? Yeah, and I'll I'll backtrack a little bit to give some context. Um, I, I ended up probably the last, call it two, three years of my career at Diversa, uh, just jumping into to healthcare kind of full time. And so uh, doing a lot of work across the payer, provider, landscape, uh, services, tech-enabled services, and, and just pure play software. Um, I found myself really wanting to understand the like investor side and, and what that landscape looks like, how do the board members and the CEOs think uh, versus just the search firm 
um, when you're kind of getting your your orders to go fill a role. And so, um, you know, I wanted to stay in healthcare. Uh, the pandemic was certainly an interesting time to do that, I think, especially with Oak being just healthcare and fintech focused. Um, you know, we, we saw a, a ton. But uh, yeah, so come October 2020, uh, made the transition and uh, started working with Annie, Andrew and, uh, and Tricia and then my boss, Leah, over there. Uh, and the talent role is super fun. It's super interesting, right? I think in VC, it, it is, is quite ambiguous. Um, you, what I tell people is you never question where you're adding or when you're adding value, but you can't always know like what that looks like and, and point to that six months later. So you're kind of a Swiss army knife, just helping companies, um, just hire talent, think about talent. Sometimes it's more related to HR systems and processes in general. And so, we got our hands involved in a bunch of different things. Um, and that took me two years, uh, or that kind of, uh, that role was two years long and we ended up building a great team. Still love, love everyone over there today, but it was really cool. Right. I think, um, the way we broke down talent, uh, as it relates to our portfolio companies is both helping with search, you know, searches, uh, helping them with the right vendors and search firms. Uh, we also took care of a lot of board and advisory work for the firm, as well as some of our portfolio companies. So, you know, who are the advisors that should be around to really give some some wisdom uh, to some of these growth companies and younger companies? Um, I'd say the third piece that we got involved in was like platforms and events. And it's really great, right? Because I think uh, as a, a firm, a venture capital firm, you've obviously got great connectivity with your founders and CEOs, but not always... Uh, does everyone know what you're up to? Uh, and so to be able to serve as kind of a marketing arm is, uh, was, was great. And then the last bucket was really like miscellaneous. Um, it was a, a catch-all for everything that just didn't fall neatly into everything else. But, you know, sometimes we would get questions of um, how do you classify our, our, your clinicians? Should they be W-2s or 1099s? Or uh, if we're going to launch this market, like what do you think about this model versus that model? And and thus, who should we hire? So it all came back to people at the end of the day. Um, but it's certainly a multifaceted role. Uh, and, and during the pandemic, when healthcare was, you know, it was up, it was down, you know, now we're in an interesting time macroeconomically, uh, but certainly um, provided a lot of exposure to different things. Yeah, and th those macroeconomics, you know, I think continue to push uh, a lot of um, pressure into the healthcare, you know, ecosystem. I'm, I'm just kind of really curious when you know when you, when you think back over the last couple of years um as it relates to you know types of roles you know uh, leadership inside of healthcare like are, are you seeing any trends or any interesting mm. insights from you know a really a unique point of view um that would you know maybe give us some indication of you know where investment dollars are moving you know what types of talent um you know uh, healthcare you know in, in in your case it sounds like software startups but just in general inside of the ecosystem you seen any trends or anything interesting for us yeah it's been um again it's, it's such an interesting time i think coming out of uh diverse and into oak during the like you know first peak year of the pandemic Healthcare was, it was hot, right? Or all the whole mm -hmm. ecosystem really was hot and dollars were everywhere. It was really easy to get money. It was, it was much cheaper, certainly, uh, to, to gain those dollars. And so um, I think it, there was a premium on growth and mm -hmm. 
um, when that premium on growth happens, you end up you end up seeing a lot of emphasis placed on people. Obviously, um, mm -hmm. I'd say go to market. So sales and marketing were a particularly interesting role to be recruiting for. Everyone needed a head of payer sales, provider sales, employer sales, uh, and you couldn't you couldn't hire those people fast enough. Um, mm -hmm. I think finance is always a key and important role, and the CFO function was certainly something that Oak really placed an emphasis on, and and really how we thought through like our companies. Um, and then I'd say HR, and that's one that often gets I think swept under the rug a little bit because it's like, yeah, we'll take care of HR when we need it. We just got to grow, grow, grow. We don't need the processes mm -hmm. right now. We don't need the infrastructure. And I'd say one thing that Oak did a really good job of. Um, and what we wanted to instill in our companies and, and really came from the top down was like, hey, people are the lifeblood of the company. If you can't hire, but not only hire, but onboard, you know, retain, develop mm -hmm. and have those people feel like they're learning correctly, then what are you doing? And so mm -hmm. um, we did spend a lot of time putting together different uh, connectivity from our HR talent ecosystem. We did this chief people officers guild. Um, we've done different events around the people and the HR function. So very much a premium placed on on that. Um, I'd say contrast that to now, you know, call that two two years later, 24 months mm -hmm. from from when that started. Um, there's no there's no difference, quite frankly, uh, I think, on the on the emphasis of the roles. So finance is still certainly important. Your growth team and your sales go to market teams are still important. And the people teams are still important, but it just looks a little bit differently, right? So uh, your finance leaders should be um, very familiar with dealing with very tough, rigorous, I think, you know, unit economics from a business standpoint. And so it's, you know, growth isn't just up until the right. And so you need some, some talent, some of the executives and folks on your team that know what it means to go through a slog. Um, and so... You know, we found ourselves focusing a lot on like, hey, private equity does a really good job of this. And although we've got a, you know, this high flying tech company that's going from 200 to 500 people or they were just five months ago, you know, now we might need someone who doesn't necessarily grow from 200 to 500, but they know how to like really look at the numbers, get smart about where they're spending dollars uh, and really deploy that efficiently. And the operations that go alongside that can coincide um, from all aspects of the organization. So I think there's there's no less emphasis on each of those roles, just the way in which investors are thinking about them are a little bit differently. And that's, that's tied to a lot of the, the human capital stuff. Um, I'd say with respect to you know, dollars and where they're going. I mean, we saw a lot of, I mean, during the pandemic, everyone was talking about it and you probably certainly have a, a, a perspective. Um, healthcare workers, you know, you couldn't find enough of them. Uh, and a lot of our companies were services based. So, you know, we've got, you know, a, a company like Brightline, which is, uh, they've got therapists all over the country and all over the world. You've got um, companies like Everside, which they're providing care. And so they needed, you know, some healthcare workers. But uh, it was just really, really difficult, I think, uh, to find the exact people at the exact right moment and match those up with the care needs of the patient and their consumers. And so um, we saw a lot of really interesting companies, technology coming out to help that issue. Um, and so more automation and things that can 
you know, help both primary care or specialty care providers do their job more efficiently and effectively, but also on like the provider side and the payer side. And it's about, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't need, maybe you don't need a hundred people on the back end to process these claims or deal with risk adjustment uh, and deal with different value props as it relates to what the providers and payers are um, giving or doing on the back end. Um, you can use technology for that. And so um, that was a, a pretty interesting thing because I think if you looked at that space five years ago, three to five years ago, people were like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't really need X automation yeah. tool. We don't really need this. Um, and now they're kind of, you know, they really want it because they just don't have enough people to to do all that stuff. So, yeah. So you are seeing that, you know, the, that trend of, you know, willingness to buy, willingness to, you know, disrupt the status quo inside of these organizations from a, a tech perspective. That, that's exciting to hear. I, I think that, you know, um, for, um, you know, a, a long time, I'm um, not that that's resisted. I think it's just at a slow pace, right? There just maybe mm-hmm. hasn't been uh, enough of uh, pressure financially or whatever um, right now, certainly from a staffing perspective, that that's a real, um, you know, that that's a very real challenge. I guess um, taking a step in a little bit of a different direction. So we have a lot of um, you know recruiters and um, talent acquisition folks that listen to to the pod. Um, I, I would love um, for you to um, break down for us just you know, let's say, hey, I'm a recruiter and, and I, I want to become an executive recruiter someday, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I have that 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 interest. I, I want to work towards that. And in a lot of organizations, you know, I've got executive recruiters inside the organization, just not doing search. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to, um, you know, let's just, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of role play a situation almost. But if you were to, um, you know, get a new um, CEO opportunity or a new CMO opportunity. Like, like what would you go through um, to kind of, um, A, I guess, you know, prepare that, that search? Like, what, what's your process mm-hmm. look like um, to, to kind of, you know, kind of vet it, but then get it in market and get it moving? Is it different than, you know, kind of maybe traditional mm-hmm. recruitment? I'm recruiting nurses. Um, I don't know. Just talk to us a little bit yeah. about that. I'm always fascinated uh, about the executive uh, search kind of process. Yeah, it's, um, I think in theory, it shouldn't be different. Um, but to answer, to answer your question very pointedly, so, you know, when, when you get a search or ex-CEO says, hey, like I need to go hire a president or COO or VP marketing, it, it should all be the same from a framework perspective. You first want to help the CEO understand uh okay, is this what we need? Is this what the organization needs? And certainly they know their organization better than you do. But I think the benefit of being an executive search professional is you've seen this time and time again. And so you can kind of pick out the patterns, um, especially especially in healthcare, right? So, you know, I, we found that, um, or and I found certainly over the years that if someone's coming to me and saying, hey, look, we need a new chief clinical officer. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, but do you have the right, structure the right data, the right technology for that chief clinical officer to set up the right protocols. And therefore, the things that you're measuring are actually applicable to to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And then you find out, oh, okay, well, maybe we don't, maybe we have a a product issue or a technology issue. And so we might need a new CPO or a new CTO. And so I think the first process or the first step is like really help the CEO align on what's needed um, Mm -hmm. and, and bring your perspective. I think the second is come with 
um, certainly a network in mind. And as an executive search professional, you should always have uh, a network that is um, is coming to the table that you can uh, really tap that you know of. Um, and that's what you use to kind of set the expectation of the CEO. And so you're saying, hey, mm-hmm. here's the ideal profile of the target candidate. Here are the you know 15 people we're going to go call and get in front of you uh, that align with those objectives that we just talked about in the alignment phase and then the alignment process. Um, and then you launch and you, you kind of execute and you iterate, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, when you're going to market, um, it's, it's highly tailored. I mean, these are obviously their executives who, you know, they're in great jobs today and uh, they sometimes can't be bothered. And so I think you have to craft a really interesting story. And I think the best recruiters are excellent storytellers, accurate storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, that piece of the, the role, or I think that piece of the, the job, if you will, is, um, is certainly important. And, and definitely you're telling, you're telling a story if you're hiring for IC engineers or, or for nurses, but I think for executives, there's a really big picture around like, okay, here's the vision of the company for two, three, four years out. And that's what you should be striving for. Um, and you in tandem with the CEO and the management team, the investors all, are all crafting and pushing that narrative. But um, I'd say that's kind of the part three of it. So you've got alignment, you've got like the launch and you've got the execution and the iteration phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're really taking, I think the feedback you're getting to refine the profile. So it's actually interesting mm-hmm. if you, um, you know, look at what the company starts with and the, and the ideal candidate and what that looks like and then what the market's telling you, right? Because as, a, as recruiters, you're, you're a middle person, but you're also like a marketplace and you're bringing two sides together. And so, um, you have to really effectively manage the process. You have to manage the data and the feedback and then the expectations of what the the candidate and the company might need. And so um, that's probably one of the more key pieces that I think that's where candidate and client management comes into play. And you have mm-hmm. to know when to push, when not to push. Um, you have to leverage different uh, folks in the network. You have to leverage diff- the different investors at the table. Um, because it really is like it's it, it takes everyone to bring an executive uh, into the seat. Um, and then the last piece is like your placement. And so, you know, you're doing references on the lead candidates. You're making sure that no hiccups, no surprises are going to come out of this, uh, these final conversations. And so whether that's compensation, whether that's, you know, more qualitative, tangible things like what's your family think of this? Like, how are you mm-hmm. thinking through how this is going to impact your career? You know, not this move, but the move after that. And so I think the closing strategy, um, you know, you should be closing from the beginning, right? If you've aligned correctly, you're closing from the beginning. But the closing strategy at the end is uh, is critical and important um, in that last, you know, 10 percent is, is often where things can go wrong. So making sure your T's are crossed, your I's are dotted, um, and you can onboard the candidate effectively is, is certainly how I think about it and think through it and, you know, how we kind of focus on it at Mosaic. Um, but I'd say that's kind of the four-step process. And, you know, ideally, it's not different from your everyday recruiting, again, of maybe some lower-level individuals. I think you can have just as much um, hand-holding of the client or the customer or the CEO, what have you, um, it can be harder because there's a little bit more volume when you have to recruit a hundred engineers versus, you know, uh, five C-suite executives. 
Um, but I think if you take those principles, you'll find that the process can flow just as smoothly, um, whether you're doing it for a VP of marketing yeah. or uh, a nurse practitioner. Yeah. When one doesn't go well, can you typically chase it back to something specific or, um, it, it, you know, is it hard to, you know, we're in the people business. Is it, is it hard to always nail it even when you're following that, you know, mm -hmm. very rigorous process? Yeah. It's one of the things I love about being in search and just recruiting in general. Uh, you know, our product is people. And so, um, you can often, that's why you have to have such a tight framework and process. And so that mm -hmm. not every time is the hiccup, you know, the same piece throughout the process. But if you have that down packed, then you know exactly where things went wrong. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you just get a, a candidate who's not feeling it after three or four meetings, no rhyme or reason. Uh, they just had a conversation with their family, maybe, or something went right or went wrong at work and mm -hmm. they've got to pull out. Um, I think that's where you have to know the candidate so well and, and you're hedging your bets with other folks in the pipeline uh, that are just as strong as that candidate uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. But um, you can often tie it back to something. I think once a, a process is tight, I, I find that, you know, the horror stories of, hey, this search went on for a year or the search went on for a year and a half, that often is when the alignment phase didn't really go right. Um, and yes, we talked about certain key criteria or certain characteristics of this executive or these executives. And um, that was great because that was on paper, but that's not what the CEO had in mind or that's not what the investors wanted. And sometimes there's misalignment with CEOs and investors and then you've got to you know, marry the two there. Um, so I often find if there's something that goes wrong, you can kind of tie it back to that beginning alignment phase slash like analysis of, of what yeah. exactly you're going after. That's awesome. Is there any um, is there any assessments or is there anything inside of the process that that you like um, to deploy on this level of search? You know, behavioral mm -hmm. or you know those types of things that that you use. Or like, say, you know, th this is really valuable and it provides me to your point about you know some some qualitative stuff that I can kind of work with, uh, you know, with the search team. Yeah. Um... I think you'll find there certainly are. Um, mm -hmm. It's not something that everyone uses. And so, you know, you've got various different things like top grading or uh, different personality, you know, X personality tests that mm -hmm. every, everyone might use that gives you the, the letters and the numbers. Um, I, I can probably say that we don't use that a whole lot, both at my time at Diversa and through Oak. I think it's a little bit more of the art than the science. And so mm -hmm. you as the recruiter, you're kind of, that is your role is to say, hey, this is the personality of the CEO and the rest of the management team. The personality of this candidate is, hey, they're, you know, they're pretty detail oriented. They're uh, pretty hard charging and that's what this company needs. Or uh, that or not. And so you kind mm -hmm. of serve as the role of that assessor or that assessment um, to really put some stuff in place and put that together. But I can't say that we've used a ton uh, in that world. I know certainly some some bigger firms uh, definitely make that a priority and you do proper yeah. assessments of the of the executives. Um, it's not to say that any one way is worse than the other. I think some folks just rely a little bit more on like uh, the science piece of it versus the art piece and how that comes into a, uh, comes into a process just depends on the client. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's probably, 
you know, no, I don't want to say no, but very few, if any, you know, CEOs or boards right now that aren't focused on, you know, board diversity uh, and, um, you know, C-suite diversity. Mm -hmm. How can you tell when an organization is serious about that versus, you know, they're just trying to, you know, check boxes as they work their way through the process? Is, is, there, is there a telltale sign for maturation yeah. uh, of an organization? Yeah, and I'll tell you, this happens at every level of every organization, whether you're 10 people or 1,000 people. Um, I think the process in which you approach diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, like, that is certainly um, it's it's a nascent category to a lot of a lot of companies. And so, how you know when someone or some company is serious, I think, is not just hey, can you show me you know two diverse candidates for every you know one candidate or whatever whatever ratio you want to put to the process. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to look at the organization outside of hiring because hiring is a really easy place to put some metrics on on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at their onboarding, when you look at their programs about DEI and uh, DEIB, when you look at how their their exit interviews are and like, is that important? Is that a question that they're asking uh, to folks that are leaving the organization? I think that'll really inform you of how seriously they take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can pressure test some of that a little bit without going into the company's policies and procedures. But um, I think you know from the start if a company is just trying to hit a quota or they really care about the organization having uh, diverse leadership and additional cultural um, perspectives uh, from all wh- whatever walk of life uh, that might be. Uh, you definitely can feel that um, when you're just asking and digging into a couple questions and it's not just about the ratio. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. When you think about the all the searches that you've done over the years, um, is there something that is always the hardest part? I, mean, mm-hmm. I know I've got one in my head. Uh, I've, d- I've done a couple of them on the inside, but I just kind of mm-hmm. curious. You know what what is the hardest piece of being an executive? Um, you know, uh, recruiter. Um, yeah, I'd say the hardest piece. Um, you certainly because you're in the business of you know a, a two sided marketplace effectively. Um, mm-hmm. making sure that all sides are aligned and coming to the table. But I think the hardest piece is probably um, you have to really play to your play to your strengths, but also I think understand where others are coming from. And you have to be very fluid and very flexible in that. And sometimes it's very easy to say, this is our process. This is what we've done. And you certainly should do that. But if, if a CEO is, they, they need to have, um, you know, a different type of process or a different cadence to that process, or they don't like these companies or those companies, sometimes they're just, um, they're just reasons for it and reasons uh, you have to run with. And so I think reminding yourself very frequently and very often that um, you're in the business of like great customer service. Um, mm-hmm. And if you keep that mentality, you can cater to any client, quite frankly. Um, yeah. And so that's, that can be tough. Um, I, I think at times when you've just got multiple different personalities, to be honest. Yeah. 
I was going to say scheduling. And so just <laughs> logistics of like yeah. getting people together to do all these interviews sometimes. Uh, yeah. You know, I just, uh, I watched this unfurl and, you know, getting on the calendars of, uh, of really all of these busy people. And so usually, so, you know, you can get the talent there and, and sometimes you run into that challenge, but sometimes just the logistics associated with it yeah. is, is a challenge. It's, this is slug. It's actually, yeah, it's, it's very funny. Cause that, uh, that can definitely derail a process and, as much as you want to say, hey, ex-CEO, this is going to take X hours of your day, especially up front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they get busy or there's a fire that breaks out or candidate on the, on the candidate side, you can you can mm-hmm. get some fires happening. And so, um, yeah, ma- managing through that can be so frustrating because you're like, oh, this is so simple. You know, like, why, mm-hmm. why are we having an issue getting these two people mm-hmm. together? Um, but, yeah, I, I would definitely echo that that scheduling piece. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit here, I guess um, when you think about uh, some of the things that are maybe coming our way from a, a, a technology perspective, do you think that um, uh, some of that tech or some of that innovation is going to spur more consolidation? You know, like, for, mm. for example, in the provider payer space, um, you know, do, do you envision more of that occurring where, you know, some of these larger ecosystems, you know, the, um, you know, the, that, that exist out there just get bigger, uh, or, or do mm-hmm. you see that some of this technology might enable, you know, some of the, um, smaller or medium sized players to continue to exist mm-hmm. and be profitable in a, in a way that is meaningful to the communities that they serve? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you're certainly seeing consolidation. You've got the, you know, one medicals and Amazons Optum just completed their change healthcare acquisition. Um, you know, a whole handful of different things are popping up. And I think that's a, a sign of the times just in terms of where the market is. So, you know, valuations are down. Uh, a lot of these companies that had some good years during the pandemic are now sitting on a lot of cash and they can go acquire these companies um, for maybe discounts on the dollar. But I think, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're just going to continue getting larger and larger. I think um, it's almost cyclical in a way because you've got innovators that come in, big companies that want to move into the space. Uh, they can't move fast enough to build it themselves. And so they go acquire these companies. That company gets absorbed into an organization and that doesn't happen everywhere. But um, once that company gets absorbed into the organization, you've got another player who's trying to upend you know, a piece of what that company was doing. And so uh, it can be cyclical. I think we're in a time where there's certainly still going to be some consolidation, um, both on the the provider side uh, as well as the software solution side. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as some of these bigger companies are trying to get into the space. But I do think, even more so than that, and what I'm particularly excited about is is on the care side of things. So. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone talks about, and we've heard it for decades, quite literally, uh, like the value-based care model uh, versus Mm -hmm. kind of fee-for-service. And right now, it's it's still a small percentage, right? So fee-for-service is overwhelmingly, don't quote me on these numbers, but like 70, 75% of of what's out there in terms of like contracts Mm -hmm. and how doctors get paid. Um, But there's so much room, especially in the Medicare, Medicare Advantage space for companies to really drive quality of care and differential outcomes in a way that uh, benefits the patient. And you can still get paid well for that. And so I'm excited for um, 
how models get more sophisticated, quite frankly, I think, you know, with government being what it is and CMMI and CMS turning out a lot of different and interesting things um, on that front, you're kind of working with what they give you uh, and then mm -hmm. seeing what companies are using and to adapt uh, to a lot of that. Um, but there is certainly room, I think, for more innovation to, to come on the like value-based care side and uh, risk contracting side of things. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing anything interesting in the talent uh, space? You know, so we, we obviously have this, you know, a nurse shortage that's very real. You know, we have mm -hmm. this, um, you know, uh, also, you know, clinical specialty roles, you know, shortage, very real, you know, finding pharmacists yeah. and lab techs, et cetera. You know, are, are you seeing anything, um, you know, kind of coming at us from uh, either a tech or from, you know, somebody scaling talent outcomes well? Um, to, mm. to combat some of that, you know, there, there just isn't a talent acquisition leader that I talked to today, kind of, at least in the provider space, that's happy about where they're at from a vacancy rate perspective. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a common, common question, at least a lot of what we dealt with at Oak and a lot of our companies. And so we kind of racked our brains on how do you solve it? What are the technologies out there or just talent trends out there that are, that are doing, um, or aiding in solving this problem. And I think no one had uh, the silver bullet, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was sometimes you think, okay, let's change our processes up uh, to help accommodate that, or let's change up our product and fundamentally building something differently that uh, encourages people to uh, sign up or fill vacancy rates or what have you. Um, I don't have the right answer for you, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, know yeah. if there is anything right now that's saying like, hey, this is this is the thing that's going to help us get out of this kind of rut that we're in. Uh, you know, people are saying, you know, compensation uh, or just the way in which you fractionalize schedules to make more availability for different folks and uh, mm -hmm. make give more flexibility to, you know, some of the practitioners and nurses and providers. Um, I don't know. I, I wish are I you had excited the about the are you excited about the leadership talent that exists in healthcare. And so like a lot of these challenges will be solved by leaders, mm. you know, leading, you know, building the right teams, regardless of what, you know, to, to the point. And, and I don't know either. I mean, obviously, if we knew that answer, you and I probably wouldn't be on this podcast. We'd be exactly. sitting on, on a beach somewhere, you know, <laughs> hanging out. But you know, the, the, a lot of this comes from innovative leadership or leadership that's willing to create friction against the status quo inside of these ecosystems. And, and, uh, are you seeing some of our best and brightest in healthcare, or do you feel like there's mm -hmm. room to grow there, like room to pull, uh, leaders in from other maybe domains and industries that could maybe impact, uh, how we deliver, um, you know, healthcare to the communities that we serve? Yeah, great question. I think there's room for both. I think, and there's a need for both, um, not just room for it, because you certainly need your healthcare knowledge and subject matter expertise. And so folks who've been doing this for, you know, decades and decades, and even up until, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, you need that in these companies to say, okay, this is how things have worked this is where we might be able to poke holes and, and reorient things uh, to really make this a, a great experience for everyone. And then you've got, you know, especially what we did at uh, Diversa, I think just broader healthcare, health tech in general, you know, you've been pulling people out of 
you know, classic marketplace businesses to go into or very operations heavy businesses to go into healthcare to say, this is a way to look at it differently. Um, you know, I'm going to probably plug a company here for Oak, but, you know, Brightline is um, playing in the kind of adolescent, teen, family, uh, mental health space, uh, behavioral health mm-hmm. space. And, you know, they're constantly thinking through like, okay, how do we change our model up? Uh, and do we bring in someone who can think through, you know, should we have one-on-one therapy to customer or can we do a two-on-one or three-on-one? I'm like, mm-hmm. what does that look like to innovate on it? So I think you need mm-hmm. the, the therapist who've been doing this for years to say, this might be doable. And then you need um, some folks maybe on the engineering side or product side or operations side to say, okay, if this is doable strategically, here are the blocking and tackling that needs to happen uh, for us to get to this end goal. So yeah. I am excited about it is a short story. Yeah, that's awesome. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a NACR membership today. Free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as $80 per person annually. Learn more at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. We're well over a half hour here, so maybe just a couple more questions. Um, I sure. know you're busy getting a new uh, uh, new company stood up. Let's talk about that for a, a second. Maybe talk a little bit about Mosaic, kind of the, the vision there, uh, and and kind of um, you know what's uh, you know venturing out on your own, which uh, yeah. you know, certainly is uh, exciting. But but maybe talk to us a little bit about that, and and maybe how you're going to position yourself, um, you know, in the market. Yeah, um, excited to to be doing this. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is fun and scary and nerve wracking and, and all those things. Um, I, I just found, you know, had a great, I think, experience with Diversa, loved search, and then had a, you know, also an equally as great experience with Oak, uh, learning, I think, a lot of the ins and outs of healthcare and how the investors think um, truly. Uh, wanted to jump back into just the search side of things and said, you know, no better way to do this than uh, doing it on my own. And so, um, you know, we've initially set out to still focus on healthcare solely, uh, not doing anything outside of that. When it comes to what pieces of healthcare, um, we'll do healthcare and health tech. Um, Again, services, tech enabled services, and uh, just pure play tech. Uh, anything really B to B or B to B to C, uh, we'll we'll do some consumer work as well, so just straight uh, B to C work. Um, and functionally, you know, we're not beholden to anything. I think we we've myself and um, uh, my team, you know, we've hired generalists uh, from marketing to engineering to operations to finance, and so I think incredibly capable of um, building out teams, right? And I think that's what you really want to focus on. Uh, especially for us when we're targeting more of that, like, you know, mid early stage, but growth stage and beyond. Like I think every CEO and every team uh, can benefit from a holistic approach of how you're putting the puzzle pieces together um, to really form what can be a game changing set of leaders. And so we focus on just building the team in general and and making sure that we can offer insights no matter where you might want to go. But yeah, we're, uh, call it a few months in and uh, it's been incredibly rewarding and uh, it's certainly an interesting time to be doing it. But I think healthcare, um, you know, along with a few other industries, there's always room for improvement, always room for innovation. And so we're excited to be a part of that story. Yeah, that's awesome. 
and I'm excited to, to follow that track. And I agree. I think it's a great time. Uh, it's a great time to be in, in healthcare, focused on solutions and, and finding a way to improve, um, you know, the, the entire ecosystem. It, just tactically speaking, and we talked, just brushed on it uh, as it relates to the process. But, you know, if, if I'm an executive recruiter today, is there anything in my toolkit um, that, that I need to, to have, I mean, is it, is it just LinkedIn or is there, is there mm. a technology that, that you got, you know, you leverage on a day-to-day basis that you're like, man, th- this is the, this is the stack, or is it just kind of, you know, what works for maybe that recruiter? I'm just kind of curious on the tools that, 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 that you all use that you find impactful. Yeah. It's uh, it's certainly recruiter dependent in what their feel for the technology is. I think you certainly need to be going way outside of LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn mm-hmm. is a great uh, pool and ecosystem to to find different talent and connect with different talent. But I think what's most important is how you leverage that talent. And so, mm-hmm. what's what's your connectivity like? How are you making sure that you're keeping in touch with the you know, five CFOs that weren't exactly available during this period of time. And three months later, they can be available during that period of time. Mm-hmm. And so I think really like managing your call it CRM and your data and how you're making sense of that is important. Um, you know, there's a ton of systems out there for an executive recruiter. I think, you know, Thrive, uh, you've got Clockwork, you've got people who are now building their own ecosystems uh, and tools. Mm-hmm. So if you've heard of like Airtable or Notion or Coda, like all of these systems are being used as um, databases, quite frankly, to replace some of the legacy stuff. And I think it's working. You know, it allows you to be a lot more customizable. Uh, you you do have to do a, a bit of an upfront build on a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can really make it work for you and manage the data effectively, you know, you can, you know, use this as, as frequently or as, infrequently as you want, uh, as long as it works for you. So, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Data management is always a challenge for, for recruiters, especially, you know, not necessarily even executive search, um, you know, recruiters, you know, like you who are maybe outside of the ecosystem, but maybe an executive mm-hmm. search team. And I'm sure you run into them that, that are inside the ecosystem. And, and so that's always a, a stark challenge. So, yeah. All right. Well, I tell you what, maybe just a, a couple more here and then we'll, uh, we'll put a wraps on um, hopefully just uh, round one for, for you and I, you know, I guess, is, is there anything kind of um, that maybe we haven't touched on, um, you know, and, and again, thinking about the audience here that, um, you know, maybe we should have uh, over the course of the last half hour, anything you think we didn't get into that maybe we should have? Yeah, I think uh, at least a lot of what, um, I saw working with, you know, call it 30, 40 portfolio companies at Oak. And, you know, sometimes we delve deeper than just the exec level hiring. It was like, Hey, what are your, you know, what are your managers doing and how are you doing that? And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, a bulk of the recruiting is not the CEO or you're not working with him or her. Uh, You're working with a hiring manager, uh, if you will. And so I think um, using the same process, to work with the you know director, senior director, hiring managers of the alignment piece is even more critical, I think, in those situations because um, oftentimes they've got their hands deep in the weeds and then they're on the hook for hiring. And so they're often like, hey, I can't do two jobs here. Um, 
how do you or how can you help me effectively hire, you know, whoever we need to hire? And so I think going to them and saying, okay, um, first mapping out the needs of the organization that they have, that they're responsible for, then saying, um, here's where and what we're going to be doing. Here are our goals and metrics. Like I, we, we found that there just wasn't a whole lot of that. And there was a lot of helter skelter things were thrown to the wind and if they stuck, uh, they stuck. But, um, we found that just introducing a, a pretty simple process and having the conversation of what happens if in three months we have an in our goal of, you know, X hires, um, mm-hmm. here's what we're going to do and how we're going to go about it. And so, I think that's um, a critical one. I'd say um, there's probably not a whole lot that I would add. Uh, I'm probably forgetting something here, but yeah, yeah. Uh, right now I can't can't think of anything. I well, appreciate you. So, if folks want to um, connect with you, learn more about you know your background, you know the the um, you know the the team over at Reload. Uh, Chad is actually who introduced yeah. me, and he he he, uh, he called you a Swiss Army knife, um, quote unquote. <laughs> that's what he said. He said you, you really are are um, very um, you know broad background, and and he said that you have a lot of experience, especially in this domain. So, if people want to get in touch with you, um, how would they do that? Yeah, uh, easily to find me on LinkedIn. Um, So uh, we can probably put that somewhere. Um, But uh, josh at mosaictp.com is is my email um, and happy to help anyone with anything, quite frankly. Cool. We'll throw those in the the show notes. And uh, Josh, really appreciate you coming on today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, Learned a lot uh, about uh, exec recruitment and, and good to hear where the market's going. I, I really appreciate the time and um, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Matt. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.